Um, last Saturday, um, I was two Saturdays ago, we were having prayer for the City Fest coming up, and Dr. Songer was there, and, and somehow we got into the whole thing of you know, replacement joints and such. And uh, he has been an inventor and has developed a number of things to um, take care and replace joints. And how many have been operated on by him? A few of you guys. Um, what joints did you get? Or anyone? What's that? A knee? Okay. Okay. So anyway, we're talking about that, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of amazed, and I'm going, oh, that's really, and he says, the original parts are a lot better. They're still stronger. I'm going, okay, that's, that's really amazing. And uh, on the way home, I slid on some ice and did a digger, which uh, had been probably five years since I'd had a fall that hard, and I landed on my knee. And the, uh, me being whom, who I am, I, <laughs> I'm sorry, Sonny. <laughs> it's rough life coming to church. <laughs> the rest of you are going, you betcha. <laughs> You've learned to sit still. <laughs> mostly. Um, so I, I land on my knee, and of course I check to see if the pants are ripped. <laughs> then I try to figure out if I can stand. And, uh, you know, stand up and you realize it's not broke. And, you know, within a day, everything's good. And I'm just kind of, you know, I'm, I'm amazed, you know, that, you know, 200 and some pounds, I'm not telling you exactly how much, but north of 200. It, one spot, nothing broke. And I'm just, I'm thanking the Lord in that moment, but I'm also just very, very aware of how amazing God has made this body of ours. So I kind of want to focus in on some of that today. Um, I brought along some puzzles. Shar and I are downsizing. If you want a puzzle... After service, you'd put one together or just take it, please. 63 pieces. We bought them for put together with little kids. Do it quickly. It's easy. So there they are. And uh, how long do you think it'll take me to assemble it this way? You know, just it's flat. It's, it's not complex. It's not a 3D, you know, layers thing. It's, it's just one layer. So if I keep working at this enough, shake it enough, it, it should assemble, right? But you, when you're going, they're interlocking pieces. My point exactly, everything in our body is interlocking. And yet 
it has more than 63 pieces. And it's one of those things where you're just kind of going, it, it's ridiculous. I, I know that this, at least in my opinion, this isn't going to happen for quite a while. You know, and, I, and yet, somehow we get it in our mind that what's going on here is, well, it, it, it's just it maybe random. I'm not buying it. Just not buying it. Um, I was <laughs> I was looking at a few things this week, and and I actually I know that puzzles are in some ways are a thing of the past. The current thing is Legos, right? Three dimensional puzzles, but even that is. Uh, I I look at that and I'm going, okay, that's that's uh, that's amazing. But Romans says if we don't uh, that what God has done is obvious if we're willing to respond to it. You know that what He has created is evidence of the Creator. That how everything has been put together is so amazing that it doesn't speak of randomness. It speaks of order and design. And it, it should grab our hearts. And you know, the last couple Sundays, we've looked at that thing of recognizing truth when we see it. And so what I'm encouraging you is when you, when you have these moments and you're going, this really is amazing, then it's appropriate to say, God, you are amazing. And I'm grateful for what you have done and are doing. And I love the way you've put things together. And to just, in those moments, give credit where credit is due. Um, I, the largest Lego set that's being sold right now is, is uh, a Lego set of the earth, and it's 11,000 pieces. There's a Millennium Falcon that's 9,000-some, but it's 11,000-some pieces. Pity the father that gives that to his kid for Christmas. So, unless, Only a nut would do that. It really was into Legos themselves, I guess, but I digress. Um, the... Uh, there are other things that are fairly complex. Uh, a Boeing 737. Want to guess how many pieces? Yeah, you can see it. <laughs> Roughly 600,000. Okay, that's, that's a big puzzle, right? And it's pretty amazing what guys have done in putting that together. Um, what we're going to see in a few minutes, I'm going to play a video, is that we have between 50 and 70 billion cells that die each day and need to be replaced. That's, that's the stuff we're getting rid of. That's not the total. So <laughs> when you, to put that in perspective... If you were to take all the hamburgers that Americans eat every day (laughs) 
added up for a year, you'd come up with $50 billion. That would sort, if you put them side by side, it would circle the globe 32 times. That is pretty disgusting. Um, quite honestly, I didn't fact check this. <laughs> I'll leave that alone from here. So how many cells are in the human body? They don't have an exact count, okay? <laughs> but the guess is somewhere around 37 trillion human cells. 200 different, some different types of cells. And if you were to count all the critters inside of you, like in your gut and such, another 10 to 100 trillion. Do you feel crawly right now? <laughs> you should. Now, it, it, you know, the, the, the size of this is amazing, right? It, it, the interlocking. It, it's, it, it, it's not just falling in place, but there's an incredible design connected to all of this. And if we grab on to that, then it begins to, we begin to say, God really is amazing. And his, it requires some intelligence, right? I mean, you, there's a learning curve even with kids in 63 pieces. That's why as an adult, usually you put most of it together for a while, Right? And then, then they begin to get it, and they get, begin to expand. But, you know, trillions compared to 63, you know, a trillion times that, what we have, pretty astounding. I've got a little video that I want to play, and we'll uh, go from there. These are tiny molecular machines, and they are doing this inside your body right now. To understand why, we have to zoom out. Every day in an adult human body, 50 to 70 billion of your cells die. Either they're stressed or damaged or just old. But this is normal. In fact, it's called programmed cell death. But to make up for all these lost cells, right now, billions of your cells are dividing essentially creating new cells. And that process of cell division, also called mitosis, well, it requires an army of tiny molecular machines. So let's take a closer look. DNA is a good place to start, the double helix molecule we always talk about. This is a scientifically accurate depiction of DNA created by Drew Barry at the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute of Medical Research. If you unwind the two strands, you can see that each has a sugar phosphate backbone connected to the sequence of nucleic acid base pairs, known by the letters A, T, G, and C. Now the strands run in opposite directions, which is important when you go to copy DNA. Copying DNA is one of the first steps in cell division. Here the two strands of DNA are being unwound and separated by the tiny blue molecular machine called helicase. Helicase literally spins as fast as a jet engine. 
The strand of DNA on the right has its complementary strand assembled continuously, but the other strand is more complicated because it runs in the opposite direction. So it must be looped out with its complementary strand assembled in reverse, section by section. At the end of this process, you have two identical DNA molecules, each one a few centimeters long, but just a couple nanometers wide. So to prevent the DNA from becoming a tangled mess, it is wrapped around proteins called histones, forming a nucleosome. These nucleosomes are bundled together into a fiber known as chromatin, which is further looped and coiled to form a chromosome, one of the largest molecular structures in your body. You can actually see chromosomes under a microscope in dividing cells. Only then do they take on their characteristic shape. Otherwise, the DNA is more strewn inside the nucleus. The process of dividing a cell takes around an hour in mammals, so this footage is from a time lapse. You can see how the chromosomes line up on the equator of the cell. Now when everything is right, they are pulled apart into the two new daughter cells, each one containing an identical copy of DNA. Now as simple as this looks, the process is incredibly complicated and requires even more fascinating molecular machines to accomplish it. So let's look at a single chromosome. One chromosome consists of two sausage-shaped chromatids, containing the identical copies of DNA made earlier. Each chromatid is attached to microtubule fibers, which guide and help align them in the correct position. The microtubules are connected to the chromatid at the kinetochore, here colored red. The kinetochore consists of hundreds of different proteins working together to achieve multiple objectives. In fact, it's one of the most sophisticated molecular mechanisms inside your body. The kinetochore is central to the successful separation of the chromatids. It creates a dynamic connection between the chromosome and the microtubules. For a reason no one's yet been able to figure out, the microtubules are constantly being built at one end and deconstructed at the other. While the chromosome is still getting ready, the kinetochore sends out a chemical stop signal to the rest of the cell, shown here by the red molecules, basically saying this chromosome is not yet ready to divide. The kinetochore also mechanically senses tension. When the tension is just right and the position and attachment are correct, all the proteins get ready, shown here by turning green. At this point, the stop signal broadcasting system is not switched off. Instead, it is literally carried away from the kinetochore down the microtubules by a dynein motor. That's the walking guy. This is really what it looks like. It has long legs so it can avoid obstacles and step over the kinesins, molecular motors that walk in the opposite direction. Personally, I'm astounded by these tiny molecular machines, how they're able to routinely and faithfully execute their functions billions of times over inside your body at this exact instant. I'm also amazed by the scientists who were able to work out how this happens in such deep there's a little bit more to that. Um, when I was in school, we were looking at single cells under microscopes. 
and we had heard of chromosomes, but didn't really see them. And then the microscopes got better, and they could see them. And then I remember when DNA sequencing was like the big news, you know, and it was like, as soon as we get that figured out, we'll know how everything works. And then about that time, they're going, no, there's more. You know, and it just gets that much more complex. It's like, you know, trying to figure out, oh, we'll, we'll get this puzzle put together. And then you can see a little bit, oh, that'll make, it, that'll make it that much easier to just, you know, put it together. And you're going... Every time we see a little more, we realize how much more complex this thing is. And what we were watching up there, you saw some that was photography, and then you have the projections of what they think is going on, right? Because they can't actually see it. They just know how it goes and figure, this must be, the, this is the, a, a good pictorial illustration. And, you know, when we were talking about numbers before and we were watching what was going on inside these cells, we're still saying, okay, 50 to 70 million of those are dying each day, but there's more like trillions and trillions actually a part of us. So what we were seeing was a picture of what would happen in one of the pieces of the 37 trillion. So you're kind of going, that's pretty complicated. And that's what we begin to, to go, Lord, what, what have you done? I mean, this, this is an amazing, an amazing thing. Paul, when he was, uh, when he was, talking to the people at Athens, he, he, he draws a common bond and he just says, God made the world and everything in it. He doesn't live in temples made by human hands. He's not bound by such things. But he himself gives life and breath to everyone. Then he went on, from one man he made every nation of human race to inhabit the entire earth, determining their set times and fixed limits of the places where they would live. So they would search for God. He goes on to say, for we too are his offspring. So he's saying not only did he make this on the small level, he has his hand at the large scale as well. And he knows exactly the boundaries of your life, so to speak. And he's, he's that same kind of machinery that we see it in the micro level is happening at a larger scale as well. And, and it's just, you know, it's going very, very complex, right? Um, in, in John's Gospel, it says that Jesus was with the Father at the beginning. And He was part of the creation. He was making the creation. And He was life and light. And He goes on trying to describe it, but He's just going... What we have in Jesus is astounding that the Creator would choose to fellowship with His creation. That He would choose to develop relationship. It's, when, I, when I think of how 
you know, he made humanity. And it's like there was an update early on. He goes, oh, yeah, it's not good for man to live. You know what? I'm gonna take. I'm gonna. We're gonna do this. Divide this up a bit. I'm gonna toss a little more testosterone in one, a little more estrogen in the other, and male and female, and, and they'll get together and they'll make new ones. And, and it's like, well, only God could do that. But it's still wondrous. You know, and so, you know, we walk through that and we have this opportunity, but also a responsibility that says, when I catch glimpses of this, there should be praise coming out of my mouth. There should be thoughts that give adoration to the Lord and just say, you truly are amazing. I want to read out of uh, Psalm 139, uh, just one, one quick verse to um, Isaiah, when he's going after some of this, he goes, yeah, you know, it's like a potter and the clay, and the clay really shouldn't be talking back to the potter. The clay really shouldn't be just trying to make declarations of, uh, no, no, that's not the way it works. But he's saying, you know, when Isaiah's looking at it all, he says, the potter has the right to do whatever he wants. Psalm 139. Let's take a look at this. O Lord, you examine me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. Even far away, you understand my motives. You observe me when I travel. You're aware of everything I do. I don't speak. Words don't come out of my mouth except that you know them. You're thoroughly aware. You're around me. You squeeze me in behind and in front. Your hand is on me. Such knowledge is beyond my comprehension. It is so far beyond me, I'm unable to fathom it. The psalmist didn't get to see through a microscope, but he saw enough to be wowed. And in the same way, we might see a little more detail, but there's still an amazement that kicks in. And there's a knowledge that we still don't understand at all. He goes on, where can I go to escape your spirit or escape your presence? It's like, can I run away and, and just be away from you? And he's going, no. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I descend to the depths of the earth, you're there. Uh, if I could even fly away and get to the other side of the ocean, nah, I wouldn't escape you. Well, darkness, you know, we, we can't see much in the dark. And he, no, he says, it's like daylight to you. I just don't, there is no walking away where you, where you don't see me. Certainly you made my mind and heart. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I give you thanks because your deeds are awesome and amazing. You knew me thoroughly. My bones were not hidden from you. You saw me when I was inside the womb.
All the days ordained for me were recorded in your scroll before one of them came into existence. How difficult it is for me to fathom your thoughts about me. If I tried to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. If I finished counting them, I'd still have to deal with you. <laughs> if only, now, here's a if only you would kill the wicked, O oh God, get away from me, you violent men. They rebel against you and act deceitfully. Your enemies lie. Lord, I, don't I hate those who hate you and despise those who oppose you? I absolutely hate them. They become my enemies. I, uh, that's a hard passage connected with all this feel good, right? And I was chewing on that because we're not used to using that kind of term at all. But essentially what the writer is saying I've made a choice, and I'm living different than others. I've decided that, uh, in a sense, our lives in op are in opposition to each other. Before you get too harsh on the psalmist, Jesus was the one who spoke the most about hell. And he was the one that made the declaration that there's going to be a separation. In other words, God sees a point where there is no more reaching out, and he does draw a line and separate. The psalmist's writing, in some ways, is close to what the end picture is. And so we can't just dismiss it and say, well, we're more polite now. But we have to understand there is an opposite approach, right? And there is, a, in a, a sense, a, a budding of, and, of, and a conflict of thought. And where you land with your terminology, that's up to you. But there's still an awareness that we don't escape that, that God himself, in a sense, at the end of time, says, I'm, I'm getting rid of the trash, I'm establishing new. And he, he changes the entire earth. We... we are told that it's going to be burned up and then it, he reestablishes all of creation. So we look at that and we're saying, okay, uh, I'm not sure how to fully deal with that, but it, I'm going to read it and embrace it anyway. But he, he comes out of this and he goes, examine me, O God, and probe my thoughts. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any idolatrous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So he's walked through and he says, life is incredible. In the complexity of what's going on, it's hard to even think about. And if I were to try to summarize the thoughts of God, he says, it's more than the sand. And we would still say that. And yet... When we come to terms with that, we say, well, Lord, help me to yield my life to you and walk in a path that's pleasing unto you. Guide my steps where you know they should go. Cause me to see things as you want them to be seen. Help me to understand and to appreciate all that there is. 
when we realize that the wonder of what He's given us and we get to live with for years and years, there's a, a knowledge that He does things well. And we want to participate. We want to embrace that and walk, work, walk with it and work with it rather than fight against. Because we know we're not going to overcome that kind of thinking. Thank you, Lord. We had one picture that we missed on that psalm that... Uh, there was a, an infant. Yeah, that's my newest grandchild on the way. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> Nathan and Kate. So, we're pretty excited. Life goes on. I'll pray for us. <laughs> God's will be done. <laughs> oh. Lord, we thank you for the wonder of life and what you've given us. We thank you that each time that the best and brightest of our people discovers something new in regard to creation, that it can just inspire a whole new range of wonder in our hearts and a knowledge that this is much more than we can imagine and think. We thank you that you guide our steps. I pray for the one this morning that is worried about where things are going or where their life is going. And I'd ask that you'd help them to see that the planning that went into their life is the same planning that's going to guide them and bring them to you. And I pray, Lord, that uh, for the one that's wrestling with, how do I embrace this and, and take on these life changes that would be expected of me in you if I, if I truly accept that you are Lord over my life, I ask that there be a confidence that says, but it's a good choice. And Lord, we ask that you'll help us to declare your praises to all who will listen. Amen. I want to pray for God's blessing upon you. If you want to earmark money toward Malawi, just put it in with the rest of the offering and the gals will be sure to get it there. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk hand in hand with their creator. To be confident of your ability to oversee and guide. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom, gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you. <laughs>